Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. And welcome to the latest edition of the Geek Town Behind the Scenes podcast. On this episode, I'm chatting with Steve Fanagan, who is the supervising sound editor, sound designer, and re recording mixer on the BBC and Hulu drama Normal People. Steve has worked across a wide variety of productions, including TV shows such as Game of Thrones and movies such as Room, starring Brie Larson, which was directed by Lenny Abrahamson, who was also one of the directors on Normal People. He was a lovely guy to talk to, and if you have any interest in sound for TV and film, it's a fascinating deep dive into what goes into creating the audio world for a TV drama. For more interviews, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast in your app, where you'll also get our weekly Geek Town radio podcast, giving you all the latest TV, film, and gaming news, which you can also find up at geektown.co.uk. Here's the interview with Steve Fanagan. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, Steve. Hi, Dave. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? Very well, thanks. Thanks so much for uh, for being up for doing this. It's lovely to get to talk to you. No, no, at least it's lovely to get to talk to anybody at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly how you feel. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, mean, I imagine as a sound designer, you spend half your life locked in a small room anyway. So, but it's, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think there's, a, there's a, a joke going around that us sound folk have been training all our lives for this moment <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's like it's like us it's like you know when they said you've basically got to stay inside and watch tv it's like well that's kind of my job so you know <laughs> that's brilliant yeah that's great. where are you best you're in dublin aren't you no I, i'm actually i actually live in london now oh, okay i've been here for about two years so i'm originally from dublin and right. actually the mix work we did on the series we did in dublin at a facility called outer limits and most of the sound crew working on the series were based in Dublin. Um, I was here and I just, I traveled back and forth for mixing and for anything else that I was needed for. Yeah, I mean, Ireland's had a huge explosion. I mean, obviously everything's shut down now, but it's had a huge explosion in the uh, the 
sort of film industry the last ever since Game of Thrones went there really and it's it's really sort of picked up since then absolutely you know there's I mean there's a there's a brilliant film industry in Ireland and it's kind of been something that's been growing over the last 25 years or more uh, under the guidance and a facilitation of the Irish Film Board which is now called Screen Ireland yeah um, so a lot of the opportunities and, and things that have happened in Ireland have been sort of developing over that time um, and so it's yeah it's a really lovely very diverse film industry to be part of um, there's work done uh, at home on all levels you know from art house cinema to, mm. to, to to as you mentioned Game of Thrones so Game of Thrones technically was a Northern Irish screen um, right, yeah. production but uh, the first series did all post in the Republic and uh, that's how myself and several of my colleagues were involved um, in that first season right. because it happened in the Republic so yeah like uh, you know there's the big TV shows get shot in the Republic like uh, you know Vikings and yeah. Penny Dreadful and Tudors and there's been some massive scale stuff I think Normal People is the biggest series Irish series that's shot in Ireland for this last year gone by and would be one of the bigger shows that's shot there probably in the last few years um, that's that's a homegrown piece which is really lovely to be part of yeah and it's nice to actually have Ireland be Ireland rather than some fantasy realm which is <laughs> sort of seems to be when it gets replaced for all for some historical kind of setting it's actually Ireland as Ireland now ish so yeah ab- absolutely you know there's a for personally speaking there's a huge pleasure in getting to work on that because it's very much the Ireland that I know that I see on screen. I'm I'm a good deal older than the characters in the show, yeah. uh, so you know I, my you know my experience of the world is generationally different than theirs. But it's very you know the the world that they occupy, the streets they walk down, the the small town that they're from. It's all very familiar territory uh, for me, and there's a great. Like I, I, it's hard actually not to be kind of romantic and feel quite wistful about it. Actually, there's something very lovely about seeing such an honest representation of Ireland on the screen. So yeah, so that is a lovely bonus of having gotten to work on this. Is that sort of authentic modern Ireland being shown to the world? You know, it's lovely. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really great. So before we get into normal people directly, you're the sound designer, supervising sound editor, and re-recording mix on it do you want to just explain your job a little bit for people that don't maybe know exactly what that is that you do absolutely well i think the easiest way to think about the job of a sound designer or supervising sound editor is that you you're the person who hopefully has an eye and an ear on all of the sound possibilities for uh, a tv series or for a film that you're working on and uh, you know the sound on a film begins with the material that's recorded on set, that vital production sound, that's our dialogue and all of our nonverbal movement and all sorts of other extra human elements that are captured on set from the actors and their performances. I, I guess sound then goes through a process where it's edited with picture by the film editor. And at some point in the process, the, the sound post work begins. In the case of a show like Normal People, because of our relationship with Lenny, we're brought on early in that process. So we start to talk 
talk about the sound on the show before the filming begins. Right. Um, on other films, you might, or on TV series, you might end up being brought in later in the process. Um, and, I, and I say we because I, I really like to include my colleague, Niall Brady, uh, in the conversation. It was the dialogue and ADR supervisor right, on the yeah. show. So, and like, just to, I can't overstate how much of a team effort sound work is. So, mm. Well, I get a nice credit. There's a whole bunch of people who have worked with me and, and enhanced and developed the sound with me. But essentially, my job is to sort of have a sense of all of that sound, as I say, that's in the show. So stuff from set, the material that then is cut by the editor as they assemble the episodes in this case. The idea then is that we're trying to figure out what the sound character or the sound personality of the series is. And the way that I approach my work, my my the first thing I do in this case, obviously, I had I actually just read the book and was a fan of it, so that was really useful. Yeah. Um, so you're you, you know having read the book, I've already imagined this whole world, and and with the way that my brain works, I often think about that in terms of sound. And then the next port of call is the scripts and to start reading the scripts before they film, and I suppose. In doing that, then I'm just starting to think about the spaces and places in, in the series. And I start to build a library. And generally, like in, in the case of normal people, I was able to arrange to spend four days recording in and around places where they filmed from some of the houses in the show to some of the, the you know, like in and around Trinity College. And basically what you're doing in that case is you're going to these locations, recording atmos and room tone trying to figure out what the individual characteristic of the space is you're also recording any doors or any other sort of moving pieces uh, that may become interesting sounds to then use in the in the series when you get to work on it and i suppose in building that library and going out and recording the material i'm trying to sort of say well here's what i think will be useful elements for us all to use as we begin the sound work on the show i try to share that with the film editors before they start assembling the material as a shot Right. So that they have a have a bank of sounds that we kind of think are useful to the show. They can start to lay in some sounds themselves as and when they need them, whether that's a door close or a room tone or, you know, a bit of bird song or whatever it might be. And I suppose by the time that the first versions of episodes come to me and to Niall and to the rest of the sound crew, we're then we have a sense of sort of what the world is. We have a sense of this sound library that we've built. We can see how the editors and directors have chosen to use that material as they assemble the picture. And then we start to build on that. And the job is really about, there's a whole sort of technical aspect to the job, but really the important part of it is that you're listening to the show, you're experimenting with sound, you're playing around with ideas that you think that you're hoping will help you figure out what the individual personality sound-wise of this program is and trying to find the most appropriate sound for any location and any drama that's unfolding in that location. And the sound, I suppose, in any scene or episode is never static. It's something that's constantly evolving and changing. And you're trying to figure out a way through the episode with your director that best suits the story as it unfolds. So I guess, you know, this, you're bringing this technical 
expertise to what for what sound is, but really what you're trying to do is figure out what's good sound for this. What's what what helps us express the personality of this story and of these characters, and what they're experiencing, and and how can we use sound, be that adding sound or subtracting sound, or sound level. You know, mm. should this be loud? Should this be quiet? Figuring out that overall shape, and it's a hugely collaborative process. And so you're always working under the guidance and direction of your director. But you're also collaborating with those picture editors. In this case, Nathan Nugent worked on Lenny's six episodes. And Nathan has this incredibly sophisticated sense of what sound is and what it should be and how it should work with the picture he's cutting. And the same was true in the second block with Hetty McDonald as a director and her editor, Stephen O'Connell. You know, they're, they're making all sorts of decisions that give us these really great insights into what the potential for sound is in the show. And I suppose the work is always trying to find the little, the crack of a door to put your foot through and go experiment with sound to mm. see if you can find something that will enhance and, and underscore the drama as it unfolds. Yeah, I mean, with a, a show like Normal People, it's obviously it's not a big fantasy film or a big FX film or a superhero movie where people will understand that there are big brash sound effects in that. When you've got a little intimate much story like this can you give any examples of the sort of things you're doing to make the sound unique for a show like this absolutely i mean like the funny thing is i suppose if you work on something that's fantasy or something that has more overt action sequences or whatever in it then the sound obviously has this much more foregrounded sense mm. to it Again, you're trying to seek out what's appropriate and what's interesting. But as you say, it's less obvious what you're doing with sound in something like this that is more subtle. But in all honesty, you approach the work in this, with the same level of detail and yeah. care on a really simple level with this. You're trying to define the world of the show. And so say, for example, there's something about where Connell lives, where he's from and what his life is that can be expressed in sound. And in in the show because in this love story we have two people who are from quite different backgrounds the sort of sense of the difference in their worlds their home lives allows us a kind of an interesting opportunity into the sound design and so Connell lives in a housing estate in a relatively small house it's a semi-detached house mm. so there's, there's neighbors on either side there's kids playing on the street so you, you you start to I suppose what what you're trying to do is you're trying to figure out sounds that tell the audience something subconsciously about that world and that space so by having a dog bark next door or by having a fridge that hums or you know just slowly building up these little sounds that hopefully give some sort of nuggets of information about the character and their circumstance then when you go to Marianne's house you get to contrast that she lives in a house that's set back from the road so you don't hear cars pass by it's in that kind of idyllic surrounded by nature kind of setting so there's more lush bird song mm. outside and when you're inside it's a more you know the, the ceilings are higher so the reverbs are bigger in terms of how their voice is reflected in a space so the sound palette of their two worlds is quite different and we felt like 
that would be a very useful thing to play with in a show like this. And the other thing that you get to play with is then the contrast between where they're from in Sligo to where they moved to in Dublin Hmm. to go to university. And because of where Connell is at when he gets to Dublin, he's a little bit of a fish out of water. He's alienated by the city and by the university experience initially. And so sound can hopefully play a part in expressing that. So as he walks down a busy street, if it's loud and brash and a little bit more harsh than her experience of it, then hopefully we're communicating something that is useful to the audience and helps them position themselves from the character's point of view. So you're not you're not sort of saying to the audience, this is the space we're in. You're saying, this is this character's perception of this space. And I think that that's a much more interesting tool to be able to use with sound than doing something that's just literal, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. It's really interesting. It's, the one thing about sound is it's one of those things that's kind of supposed to be invisible in the film. So Absolutely. It's one of those things that you're not really supposed to be paying attention to. And you, you mentioned sort of it being subconscious there. And uh, yeah. I, that's sort of quite interesting that if people don't notice it, you've done your job right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, and I, and I think that's that's a really important point that you make. Like that that's essentially what you're trying to do. And, you know, filmmaking is full of artifice, you know, but when it's done well, we don't see the cuts. They just feel right. And, and when sound is done well, it feels appropriate. And so you don't question it. Mm. And I think where when when sound doesn't work, it's because it's become too overt. And suddenly, if the audience is thinking about the sound, then they're probably been kicked out of the story. And so, so exactly as you're saying, you want to be that invisible hand. But at the same time, you, what you're trying to do is make sure that every single sound that's that you're placing and cutting as a team of people working on the sound design for the show is appropriate and feels naturally, particularly in a series like this, that feels naturalistic and of the spaces that we're seeing so that it can be seamless and so that we just believe it. And I, I think that's a it's a really interesting challenge because on the surface, it might seem like we're not having to think it out in that detail. But I mm. think if we do and if we explore in that detail, then hopefully we're, we're doing something that just ultimately is more rewarding for the viewer and, and enhances the storytelling of the series at large, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, I've seen the first episode of it because it's it's gone out on BBC Three over here. Yeah, and just to pick one of the scenes, there's obviously a lot of scenes set in the school where they're they're talking to each other, and the school got a lot of background noise and he's quite echoey. Yeah. Is that completely fabricated? Is it sort of clean vocal, and then you're having to recreate that sort of echo effect? Yeah, for for the most part, certainly. So, like one of the, one of the things that's really like that school setting I thought was really it's such a beautiful looking space, and mm. and they've done this great job of filling it with extras so it feels busy it looks busy but actually you know with the way that things like that get shot it, it makes sense for those actors playing those extra roles to not speak but to look like they're speaking yes because the chaos of of that many people in that sort of space 
if you're trying to record good sound and, and by good sound, I mean like production dialogue on set, it's important for them to be as quiet as they can be while appearing like they're just going about their day as, mm. a, as, as a normal bunch of school kids would. So what we're trying to do, so Niall will do a pass on the dialogue where he's trying to get the best microphone for each of our key players in a scene. And in some of those scenes, you might have five or six of Connell and his friends and, and, and mm. maybe Marianne as well somewhere on the periphery of it so we're trying to find the best sound from the day for them and they'll all have a hopefully have a personal mic on them that's hidden somewhere in their wardrobe and then there'll be maybe a couple of boom mics out of shot but that are picking up a a more airy ambient version of their dialogue and then that's very much our sort of that's what we hang the scene on but then in the interests of realism and in the interests of sort of getting to play with the texture and the richness of the sound of that environment, we're putting in corridor voices and we're putting in movement for the characters. So Foley will record footsteps for those extras as well as for the principals that we can pan around our principals as they talk. And we'll put in distant door closes. And I spent I spent a half a day recording in that school in the summer last year. So school was out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had access to the building in a quiet state so I spent a lot of time recording lockers and door closes and <laughs> footsteps on stairs and you know just all that kind of echoey movement you'd hear in a space like that but if I can record them all individually then I can as you say I can build something then up around the scene mm-hmm. that we can control so if, if it's suddenly like, I really like, you know, that sound is sort of getting in the way of that line. So let's turn that down here so that we're protecting the dialogue. Or, you know, could we have a little bit more of that locker, but not necessarily the footsteps? We have individual control of those elements and are able to basically figure out what the push and pull of all those different sounds are and how they'll best work to represent the reality and the emotion of the scene as it unfolds in front of us. Yeah, you mentioned Foley there and uh, I, I do find Foley completely fascinating as a as a sort of thing because it's such a weird job. Um, <laughs> just sort of taking stuff to make noise, you know, to make like noise. And, and sometimes it's fairly straightforward. Like, you know, you say it's, it's recreating footsteps and that, but it can be taken just something very strange to create the noise of something fairly normal yeah have you had situations where you've what's the weirdest thing you've sort of had to use to create an effect for something i love it um so you know there's a funny thing like there's there's this brilliant thing that happens with sound where if you can find an interesting sound and put it in sync with something on the screen you can often sell it as that piece of movement Mm. or as that reality so there's something about the way that we as viewers perceive sound in sync with image that sells something so yeah just to digress slightly but on a personal note my way into sound for film was actually from meeting a foley artist called quiva doyle right. and this is about 13 years ago and she is the foley artist on this series and we've worked a lot together over the years and foley is this brilliant craft where like the amount of performance and the amount of nuance in what a foley artist does is really quite incredible mm-hmm. and and so early on in my time working with Quiva, we were working on an animated feature that had a reindeer at its center. Mm. And one of the things that she did was she got taxidermied reindeer feet 
<laughs> to actually recreate that sound. And I know that that's a bit more of a literal example, but it's a pretty, pretty out there example. And the same with them. So when we worked on Game of Thrones, she had these taxidermied horse hooves. Uh, so, so rather than the old coconut trick, yeah. uh, she's like going for the real deal. She has versions of them that are shooed and she has versions of them that aren't shooed. And we'll use those to create these really heavy textured, realistic horse hooves. But then like on a, on a more simple level, some of the funny things you see are like, so say for maybe for blood dripping, you might take a chamois cloth <laughs> yeah. and, and just soak it, soak it and squeeze it. Mm. And it will have the most viscous, visceral feeling of someone's bowels pouring out of them. <laughs> you know, so it, it's really interesting what those little textures can do. You know, one of the classics is the, you know, the, the doors on the Enterprise in the original Star Trek was a, an A4 sheet coming out of an A4 envelope. Right. <laughs> like a lot of creative sound work is about finding those interesting sounds that you can build into textures. So for me, like on a sort of basic level, when I think about a door, so say someone in a show opens a door and closes it. I'm thinking about, you know, eight or 10 sounds that I think I should be hearing for that. So there might be their hand on the handle. Mm. There's the handle moving. The handle might squeak. The door then comes away from the setting it's in. And that might have a little bit of a rub or a scuff because it's warped or it doesn't quite fit the frame. And then you might have a creak. You might have two hinges that do slightly different creaks. And, and all of those sounds you build up and they're not necessarily the literal object, but they're just, you know, sometimes like a, a squeak or a scuff could come from how a footstep sounded on a floor that you recorded where, you know, a rubber sole squeaks on a wood floor or, you know, the scuff of the door could actually be part of a door closed rather than door open. And it's just about finding sounds that sort of are musical and rhythmical and feel like they have some sort of um, information to express, I suppose. Like the difference between the sound of someone opening a door in a sort of rundown squat versus someone opening a door in an opulent castle mm. should be incredibly different. So yeah. you, you're always looking for all these tiny little details that you can put into the sound and build something up that feels like it's interesting. And so like all the time in the work I do where maybe where I'm trying to build up the room tone of a room i might be using sounds that don't necessarily come from a space like that like when we worked on room with lenny we you know you have this half of the film is set in one space mm. but actually the feeling or the mood in that space changes all the time and so rather than having one sound for that room you evolve and change it over time one of the things that we totally repurposed for that space was now as he was working through the dialogue came across this mic that Brie Larson was wearing that was picking up her heartbeat in between her lines. Right. And we sort of thought there's not really a better metaphor for what room is than his mother's heartbeat. Yeah. But obviously you don't want to play that as a literal sound because you're sort of into some quite probably cliche territory. So it's trying to take that sound and then just use a little bit of it, maybe pitch shift it or maybe echo it and, and just have it somewhere in the texture of that space. And not all of the time, but just some of the time where it's important to 
what Jack's experience of the rim is or what Ma's experience of the rim is. And so I think like a lot of this work is about trying to find those interesting sounds and trying to figure out story and drama potential for those sorts of sounds and repurpose them in the way that they express something that's about story and character. And it's really, it can be really interesting how not literal that stuff can be. Yeah. Like, like I think you're always trying to reflect a point of view. And so actually with sound, you can often use things that are entirely unrelated to a moment to express something about that moment if you use them carefully. Yeah. Are you somebody that ends up taking a sound recorder out with them everywhere just in case <laughs> pretty much pretty much uh, you know you kind of it, it is a, it is a vocation and maybe a sickness <laughs> on some level <laughs> you know but like you know I just actually my my wife reminded me recently she sent me some pictures from a holiday we were on I think about 10 years ago and they're pictures of me in, in the subway in New York recording a fan <laughs> and, and then recording the train and so you know all credit to her for long suffering this but you know it, 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 it is something you know you you there's always an opportunity when you're out and about that you just yeah. hear something that's unique and oftentimes you don't know whether it will ever be useful for anything but it has enough character and enough of a nuance to it that you kind of think that could be something yeah and yeah. so so i really i really like to make sure that i'm in a position to avail of those opportunities <laughs> so I, I definitely do and like the really important thing with that is to be disciplined though so when you get home or within a few days of it that you take the sound off the recorder and you put it into your pro tools and you edit it and name it and rem so that you have yeah. it in your sound bank in a way that you'll you know you'll be able to find it easily down the road it's so easy to collect hundreds of recordings but then have no I you've never named them or you've never yeah, yeah. kind of gotten specific with them and you, you'll never find them again so part of the discipline of that is also doing that little bit of work when you get home and and uh, it's interesting like I, I find for me if I've been out in the world and I've recorded something and I've sort of sat in the headphones and really listened to it I'm very likely to store it somewhere in my memory and so two years down the road I might be looking for a thing in a scene <laughs> and go oh do you remember that we've never used that what was that sound again and I can go search and find it and see if it is the thing that, that's appropriate but it's amazing how that stuff sort of stays in your head and actually on, on normal people with doing that sort of four day record trip around the locations there's a couple of benefits to it one is that you you know that when you hit a scene that one of those locations is in you have a start point you kind of go well I have that room tone so I'll put that in and see how it feels right yeah. so you, you have somewhere to start and once you've started it means you can start to to push the work but the other is that you remember these kind of interesting things that you heard like maybe oh remember that house how those carbides sounded or you know because that house is set back from the road this seagull came by and i heard this lovely echo because there's a courtyard in the house mm. and you know if that's a smaller house it's not going to have that sort of acoustic to it whereas if it's a bigger house like where marianne lives in dublin that can happen and it'll be one of those unique characteristics 
dynamics that you then hopefully can draw on and play with in a, in a series like this. Yeah, yeah. So we've been on nearly half an hour, so I'm going to let you go in a minute. But have you um, got anything else coming up after this that you, you can talk about? I, I know quite yeah. a lot of times you can't. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Coming up next, um, I finished work on a film called Radioactive um, oh, yeah. last year. So that's about the life and legacy of Marie Curie. Hmm. And that was an incredible experience. It's actually how I ended up moving to London. Uh, came up as an opportunity. The right. director is a, a woman called Marjan Satrapi, who's this incredible person, as well as been a, a really brilliant director. But she had done, she made a graphic novel, which was a, she then adapted into a film called Persepolis. And, right, yes. and both the graphic novel and the film were were massive for me and so to get the opportunity to work with her was brilliant and this it's a beautiful story about an incredible human being like it's kind of hard to get your head around how much she achieved in her life and how altruistic she was in in those achievements and she kind of she has so many chapters to her life that if if you led a life where you lived out one of those chapters you'd feel like you'd done something useful and something whole with your existence which she has sort of more examples of that than you can fit in a feature film actually and so it's it's a really it's a beautiful story um it's a very philosophical look at her life and her legacy with some incredible performances at its center with uh, Rosamund Pike and Sam Riley playing the Curies and um yeah it was just it was a real pleasure to work on and um it was supposed to actually be out the week that we went on lockdown here so <laughs> Yeah, so it's got bumped. Yeah, so it's been bumped. But Studio Canal, who are the distributors, um, they're all set to to push it out into the world in the right way once the circumstances around us allow it. So uh, yeah, it was a real pleasure to work on, and I'm looking forward to that being out. And with the the way that everything's working out, the work that I was to do for the rest of the year is a little bit up in the air now. So, yeah, but you know, I'm confident that um, the film industry is gonna and the and the television industries are gonna find a way out of this and. Yeah, there's going to be lots of interesting stuff to do. But in the meantime, it's so lovely to have this series out there and mm. to have had the experience of collaborating with Lenny again and, and, and to have worked on something that I know that I would be a big fan of <laughs> had I not worked on it. As I've worked on five things in a row with Lenny now, but he had two films and a TV series before we met. And they were just as a film lover and a TV lover, they were things that really stood out to me and meant a lot to me. Uh, you know, I was a big fan of his, I suppose, is what I'm trying to say. So to get to work with him and to get to work with him over this time and develop a working relationship has just been golden. So it's exciting to see the series out there and it's been getting just such a brilliant response. It's, um, yeah, it's yeah. a real privilege, you know. It's really good. So the last couple of questions for you, and they're the same for everybody. So so, um, first question is what TV shows are you watching at the moment okay so I'm into season two of Kidding at the moment uh, which right. is the Jim Carrey Michelle Gondry yes. uh, series which I suppose is kind of a, not quite a Sesame Street like character but somewhere in that realm yes. uh, I'm finding it it's really beautiful it's really heartbreaking it's quite dark um, but there's just some incredible central performances and the fact that they sort of this very real life been led mm. in and around these gorgeous kids puppets and this sort of iconic kids entertainers. It's a fascinating, very human story. And uh, yeah, so I'm really enjoying that. 
Um, I've just started Devs, the Alex yes. Garland series, which I'm, I've just watched the first episode, but I'm totally in and I'm mm. really excited to see more. It looks and sounds great. And the story is, yeah, I'm really excited about that. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm about halfway through the latest season of Better Call Saul, which yes. um, is one of those ones I just can't get enough of. And, and I, I've actually been saving it up a little bit uh, <laughs> as we were finishing. I, I think for me at times when I'm sort of finishing on work i have less headspace to watch stuff and and to dive in and so it's been lovely now to get a chance to dive back into that that universe and i just think that show is incredible it like, is. i think a lot of people found it to be a bit too slow a burn initially but i just find it so rewarding and mm. i cannot get over the character development and i just find the jimmy Saul character just and, and everyone around him like his um, his partner his name I'm forgetting Kim. what an amazing performance first and foremost she is an unbelievable actor but yeah. also just the, the seeing him sort of chip away at her character or lead her astray is sort of heartbreaking and, and it's also you know, it's, it's so full of pathos and humor. And I think, again, like a lot of Lenny's work, you're in this really serious story, but there's so many moments to laugh and feel awkward and feel human. And I think the three shows, actually, I've just mentioned, are doing that for me as well, yeah, which yeah. I, I really love, you know. So last question for you. If you had the opportunity to work on any TV show, it can be something from the past, something present, or something in the future, what show would it be? Oh, cool. Well, look, not trying to be too cheesy about it, but normal people was an absolute dream to get to work on, having loved the book and and all of the people involved. And so that's a total dream gig. And then I think TV shows that I've saw would obviously be one. Mindhunter, I think, is just... It's an amazing phenomenal film. show yeah. brilliant like the sound work on that so gorgeous I love yeah. like there's so many things to admire about the sound work but on a really simple level just the sound of the tape recorders and, mm. and the playing around with that that's beautiful uh, Treme is another show that I I hold in really high regard and yeah. from, from a sound point of view all of that New Orleans music mm. um, just a really intoxicating show but also must have been just the most amazing sound challenge <laughs> and I think on a drama level like a big influence for me with normal people and and with work in general I thought you know Big Little Lies and and Sharp Objects were incredible sounding shows same directors same showrunners same sound crew Um, they do this thing in in both of those series where they play with memory and sound and picture have this lovely alchemy that they, they do and it just feels like it would have been an amazing challenge to work on so They'd be some of the, the, the shows from the last few years that I hold in high regard. It, it's funny, you know, you, you watch so much stuff and like I find myself really, uh, there's been so many great shows over the last few years that it's hard to, yeah. sometimes you forget about them and you realize, oh my God, I've, I'm yeah. having this conversation with you and I'm forgetting some of the ones that were, so I probably, when we get off the call, I'll probably remember 10 others that I <laughs> feel sure. equally strongly about, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, 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 those are definitely some of the best. Well, it's been lovely to have you on and chat. I'm glad Normal People is out. I know there's a huge appertite for it, particularly because the novel was so popular. Uh, I, I thought the first episode was great. So uh, I hope the rest of it goes down well. And it's be out on Hulu as well, won't it, in the US? So Yeah, from Wednesday the 29th of yeah. April, it's on Hulu. So it'll be... 
And I think it's going to be available all over the place. It actually, yeah. on a personal note, it premieres on Irish TV tonight, which is exciting. Yeah, fabulous. Uh, yeah. So look, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. It's so lovely to get to reflect on the show and the work. And it's a good reminder of what a privilege this work is to do. So thanks so much. I really appreciate it. No problem at all. Thanks for coming on. And uh, maybe we'll chat again when your next project comes out. That'd be great. All Love right. to you. Thanks so much for taking the time. No problem. Talk to you Take soon. Care, man. Cheers. See you. Bye. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 